The Read to Lead Podcast, episode 48. Hi, I'm Chris Brogan, author of The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth. And the good news is you're well on your way because only a freak would listen to this. It's The Read to Lead Podcast with my friend Jeff Brown. making a decision, you want a wide divergence. When you're executing, you want alignment. And some teams don't follow that practice. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. Thank you very much, Joy, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We sit down with a successful and inspiring author, and we'll talk about his latest book. And depending on his area of expertise, we're going to talk about his thoughts on leadership, personal development, career, marketing, business, and entrepreneurship. Who am I talking about? Well, it's Robert Bruce Shaw this time around, author of Leadership Blind Spots, How Successful Leaders Identify and Overcome the Weaknesses That Matter. And in today's episode, Robert's going to help us understand why blind spots matter, how to surface and overcome blind spots, and why not all blind spots are bad, and a lot more. Before we get into that, I want to quickly tell you about our sponsor, Blinkist. Now, Blinkist creates these awesome business book summaries. You can check them out via the web app or on your mobile device and get the main insights and key thoughts from your favorite business books in just about 15 minutes. So think about those business books on your shelf that you've not been able to finish or maybe in some cases you haven't even started yet. Would being able to get through some of those in 15 minutes make life a little bit easier for you? I think so. And right now Blinkist has a special deal just for you because you're a Read to Lead podcast listener. They're giving 20% off an annual subscription. Now, an annual subscription is only 50 bucks to begin with, so it's pretty cheap right out of the gate, but you can save 20% when you use the discount code all one word read to lead. Easy to remember, right? Just go to readtoleadpodcast.com/blinkist. That's b l i n k i s t. readtoleadpodcast.com/blinkist Blinkist, enter read to lead one word at checkout and save 20% on an annual subscription to Blinkist. Robert Bruce Shaw is a management consultant specializing in organization and leadership performance. He's worked closely with leaders and their teams in a wide range of industries and is the author of several books, including Trust in the Balance, Building Successful Organizations on Results, Integrity, and Concern. He's also the author of Leadership Blind Spots. How Successful Leaders Identify and Overcome the Weaknesses that Matter. And he, of course, is our guest today. Robert, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you. Good to be with you. Well, I wanted to begin, Robert, by asking you what your uh, primary goals uh, for writing Leadership Blind Spots was and who you ultimately hope to reach with the book's message. Well, as you know, I'm a management consultant. I work primarily with mid- to senior-level leaders in issues of organizational change and effectiveness. And that's my target audience, the group that I want to reach. And part of the reason I wrote the book, I was interested in um, very successful, very smart people, sometimes making very foolish decisions. And I was intrigued as to why they did that. And my goal is to help them understand how blind spots operate and to avoid the mistakes that can derail them and their careers. 
Uh, so that we can understand uh, the seriousness of this issue or potential seriousness, anyway, what are some of the costs of neglecting our blind spots as, as you see it? I see two. One is that you make decisions with incomplete data, and the true risk is you're making decisions not knowing what you don't know. So there are data that you need to understand that you're not taking into account as you make key decisions. Hmm. And the second thing is you're not changing in the areas that need to change because you're just unaware of the need for change. And both of those, which they were related, both of those factors can result in bad decisions and um, problems for leaders that impact them and their organizations. Uh, could you share a, an example of one of those? I'll share a couple of them, okay. and I'll use well-known cases. Mm-hmm. Um, one is Steve Jobs, who's obviously been talked about and um, admired, rightly so. But early in his career, he made um, a mistake in misreading his company's board. And the result was he ended up leaving Apple after his first tenure in the firm um, because he didn't read the board and the impact he was having relative to his behavior. So in my lexicon, it would be a blind spot of not understanding how he was being perceived, particularly by some very important people, and consequently made a huge mistake that ended up him leaving Apple for 15 years. I'll give you another one, which is um, Ron Johnson and mm-hmm. JCPenney, a more recent case. And Johnson came in from Apple into JCPenney to turn around the company and misread his market. And again, as I think about blind spots, just didn't see his market accurately. A little different frame of reference than we talked about with Steve Jobs, mm. but similar in the sense that he wasn't taking into account all the data that he needed to to make the decisions that he made. And his tenure lasted only 17 months with JCPenney, and the company's still recovering from some of the decisions that were made during that tenure. I know for me, I, when I think blind spots, uh, those those weaknesses that we don't realize that we have, I, I often think that there are only dangers associated with those. But but you say in the book that sometimes there can be rewards associated with being, quote-unquote, blind as well. How, how so? Well, I appreciate you bringing that up. That's often one of the things that people find most intriguing about the way I'm talking about them. I and the natural tendency to think of blind spots as posing risk and being negative, which in many cases they are. But there are some cases where blind spots are actually helpful. An example that I give in the book is Sarah Blakely, who founded the uh, clothing firm Spanx. And she talks about being blinded to the realities of the market she was going into, which enabled her to do things that she couldn't have done otherwise. That is, it gave her a degree of self-confidence to move forward. So part of what I talk about in the book is the balance between self-doubt and self-confidence. And sometimes blind spots help leaders be necessarily confident. Uh, there's risk with that, but it helps them move forward, be more visionary, be more assertive in what they're pursuing. And so they're not always negative. And part of the art in this is understanding when blind spots need to be left alone and then when they need to be addressed. Well, when it comes to the typical blind spots, what are some steps that we can take, Robert, to help us spot them, not only in ourselves, but in others as well? Well, the second half of the book gives some fairly detailed examples, as you know, around how to um, surface and address blind spots. Well, I'll give you two now hmm. that any leader can um, implement starting uh, tomorrow. The first one is to identify people you trust and whose opinion you respect and simply ask them, do you see me as having any blind spots? And the key is to ask it in a very um, open way to be receptive to the feedback and then don't defend against what you're going to hear. And the other thing you can do around that question is then ask in targeted areas. For example, do I have blind spots around my own impact? Do I have blind spots around my team and how it's operating around the organization or even the markets? 
And if you identify two or three people that know you well and you trust their opinions, ask them that question and see what you get back. The second thing I recommend is to take a look at your own career and identify mistakes that you've made. And one of the things I talk about in the book is the mistakes are often invaluable in terms of pointing to blind spots. Because what you'll find is if you've made enough mistakes, and most of us have, there are some patterns across those mistakes. And if you take time to reflect on that, you'll often identify a blind spot that resulted in the mistake. And it's not going to connect all the mistakes, but many of them do have underlying causes that point to a blind spot that you need to address. I'm curious to know if there are any. What what are some of the more common blind spots that hold many leaders back? Do you see any any congruent threads from from leader to leader where some particular blind spots come up again and again and again? I do. And in, in the uh, third chapter in the book, I talk about those that I see most often. I'll mention two of them here. One thing I find is leaders often assume that other people that they work with are like themselves. So they have the same thought patterns, the same decision-making processes, the same even values. In many cases, that's not true. And it's not saying it's necessarily negative, but they're assuming that other people are like themselves. And that results in blind spots around those people and some of the decisions that the leader makes relative to those individuals. Another one that I find is fairly common is leaders being overly optimistic. I think that Mm. part of being a leader is uh, having confidence in yourself and confidence in what your organization can do. But if you look across a number of the blind spots, it's leaders being overly optimistic about their own capabilities or overly optimistic about the organization's capabilities and consequently not seeing some of the weaknesses or threats that need to be addressed. There's a lot of great uh, real-world examples in the book. You talked about Jobs uh, and and, and Apple, and there was J.C. Penney. You also mentioned uh, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, I think, in Chapter 4. Yes. Uh, I was hoping you could compare and contrast for us uh, the difference you established between uh, blind spots that result from individual traits and those that arise from, from situational factors. We've touched on these, but could you describe the differences between the two or what those two look like in the real world? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. It's an important one in that we often think of blind spots as being related to the personality or tendencies of the leader, and that's certainly the case. And if you take Bloomberg as an example, extremely confident, decisive individual, aggressive in his decision-making, didn't agonize over mistakes, moved forward quickly, and he was establishing his media empire. That was an incredibly um, valuable set of capabilities. Once he went into politics, though, it became more problematic, and he demonstrated many of those strengths, but in a political environment, it becomes more problematic, and he made a number of mistakes, and I have great respect for his leadership, but he made a number of mistakes where he took that um, leadership profile that had served him well in the private sector and applied it in the public sector, and the blind spot for me was not understanding that he was in a different environment that required a different style, Mm. and continued to leverage his strengths, Um, and in many cases it worked, but in some cases it caused real problems for himself and for the city. And one of the ways I think about this is that if you look at a leader's strengths, often there's a blind spot associated with it. And it's not necessarily negative, but it's typically there. The situational aspect of it that you mentioned earlier is in different situations that becomes more or less problematic. Uh, In Chapter 5, Robert says that in order to fully see what's going on, leaders need to increase their awareness in four key areas. I was wondering if you could touch on each one of these four uh, in in their basic forms, Robert, and and what they look like. Well, one of the things I did in the book is think about different types of blind spots that I've seen as a consultant. And the the first that most people think of is a leader's own behavior. Mm. And the leader doesn't understand his or her impact. 
thinks that he or she's behaving in one way and having a certain impact when the reality is quite different. An example I give in the book is a leader who thinks that he or she's being inclusive when, in fact, is making all the decisions hmm. and doesn't see that and doesn't see the consequences in terms of people being engaged and wanting to work for that leader. But there are three other types of blind spots that I talk about. The second is around the leader's own team. And often what I found is a leader has blind spots either around particular individuals or the team in total. Mm. Blind spots around the organization and its capabilities um, can be positive or negative, but just not seeing the organization accurately. And the third is around the markets, or the fourth rather is around the markets. And so it's the individual impact, the team, the organization, and the markets, and their potential blind spots in each of those areas. And what you want to do as a leader is make sure that you have enough contact with each of those areas to surface any blind spots that you might have. And I see where leaders get into trouble is when they become isolated, which happens as you move up in an organization. Mm-hmm. So they spend more and more time in your office, more and more time in conference rooms, talking to people who are on your team or people who are like yourself. And if you're not careful, you exist in what some people call an echo chamber. So you're just hearing back your own voice or your own views. And part of what I describe in the book is how you make sure that doesn't become a liability in terms of these potential blind spots. I was fascinated, too, by what you talked about in Chapter 6, seeking out information that disconfirms what you believe. You, you, you've just touched on that a little bit. I wondered if you could go into a little bit more detail about what you mean when you say seek out information that disconfirms what you believe. Well, most people have some um, knowledge of the devil's advocate role that are, can be played in organizations where you have one person who will advocate opposite what the leader believes or where the group is trending. What I recommend in the book is the leader becomes his or her own devil's advocate, which is a very tough thing to do because you want to be an advocate for a particular point of view, and we value that in our leaders. But the problem is you can look for confirming data only, things that support your point of view, and not look for disconfirming data. And part of what you want to do is look for data that challenges your assumptions and make sure that data is included in your decision-making process. Chapter 9 delves into conflict, and Robert calls it, and I love this, uh, promoting productive team fights. Uh, a former leader of mine was excellent at this, and it uh, reminds me of what author uh, Pat Lencioni in his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, talks about, where he references that one of those dysfunctions is the fear of, of conflict. I take it you agree. I do, and I'd be interested in your experience as well. The um the thing that I believe, though, it's not conflict for conflict's sake that you want. You right. want conflict in the key areas. And so I find in some cases the conflict's unproductive. Hmm. And the, the leader's task is to make sure there's conflict in those areas that truly matter. And I give some examples in the book of leaders who do that, depending on the, the organization or the industry. And those are the areas you want people to engage in those type of fights or conflict. And you do it also always in a professional way, that you want to be able to get the divergent points of view on the table and in many organizations, you don't see that. People follow the, what the leader wants or what the dominant coalition wants within a team. And so part of the leader's task is to set the environment and even the practices that enable that kind of conflict to surface. Yeah, the, the, you asked about the leader I worked for. He was very much about leveraging the collective brain power in the room, and that meant making sure folks had a chance to be heard. And oftentimes that meant that we didn't see eye to eye on particular strategies. And unlike a lot of leaders I worked for, He was not quick to uh, squelch uh, disagreements, even if they got a little bit heated. Obviously, we stayed, you know, civil, but he allowed those things oftentimes to play themselves out. We always left the room respecting each other, but we also left the room knowing that that, that we had been heard, even if our ideas or, or ultimately our way of doing things wasn't what was ultimately decided on, 
we had the satisfaction of, of feeling, feeling like we had been heard and had a chance to speak our piece. Yeah, I think that's critical in the sense of if you're going to leverage the collective knowledge of the team, you need to get those views on the table. What I often find, the teams that I work with, you don't see that in the meeting. And as soon as there's a break over mm-hmm. coffee or there are people that are talking outside the meeting, they say, well, I didn't agree with that or that wasn't a point that we should have followed. And then you say, why are you raising the meeting? Because mm-hmm. oh, the leader doesn't want to hear it or I wasn't going to win the day, whatever the reason was. And it, the meeting then becomes almost an um, act of theater where people are um, acting as if they're engaging when, in fact, they're not. And the leader has to be able to monitor that. And often the leader is the key because to the degree that he or she wants to hear divergent points of view, people will respond to that. So part of what you want to do in terms of blind spots, and it can be collective blind spots, not just the leader's blind spots, is how do you surface divergent points of view? And there are different techniques for doing that. Um, but I think your point is well made. The key is that people understand that the leader in particular wants to hear that, and their point of view, while it may not be pursued, is respected and expected of them in terms of that meeting dynamic. Yeah, I remember at least one colleague who didn't buy into that like you were describing, and, and often was that person who went away after the meeting and uh, brought up the complaints elsewhere, and, and it turned into gossip and became the sort of cancer on the rest of the team because that person in the meeting would uh, seem to be giving buy-in, but but deep down wouldn't really be granting it or, or, or giving it and then go off and do whatever it was they wanted to do anyway. Which is fairly common. What I often find is that people tacitly agree to whatever the direction is and then go off and do what they think is um, appropriate. And in terms of execution, you can imagine what that does to a large company. Mm-hmm. And so part of this is how do you, the leader in particular, how do you get a healthy degree of conflict, and it varies company by company Mm. in terms of what the culture will allow. But what you want to avoid are situations where people won't be candid and transparent and challenge some of the assumptions, particularly the leader's assumptions, about what's needed. I think part of the reason this happens is people are afraid if they disagree too vehemently, they won't agree when they need to execute. Mm. So they have superficial agreement because they're afraid the conflict results in schisms within the team and that they won't be able to heal those over time, which... The way I think about it is when you're making a decision, you want a wide divergence. When you're executing, you want alignment. And some teams don't follow that practice. I worked in a a radio, a broadcast environment on the programming side, and programming and sales often didn't see eye-to-eye on things. They had different uh, agendas that uh, often conflicted with one another or uh, impacted the other. But in, in this last organization I worked for with this leader who, who was good at fostering uh, conflict when appropriate, I had the best relationship with the, the general sales manager that I'd ever had at any other radio station. We were often, though, uh, if anybody in, in the room wasn't agreeing with each other, it was off, off, often her and I but we had more respect for each other and are, and are good friends to this day because we were able to work those things out in an honest, uh, non-threatening environment. And the organization benefited from that as well because yeah. you didn't um, allow where you um, sat relative to your responsibilities inhibit the give and take which is required. So part of the leader's role in terms, in terms of blind spots is creating a team environment that allows that to happen. Excellent. Well, part three of the book, of Robert's book, is dedicated uh, entirely to additional resources. Uh, what are some of the goodies, Robert, that readers can expect to find there? Well, I'll highlight two. One is a assessment survey that surfaces potential blind spots in the four areas we talked about earlier, self, team, organization, and markets. And as you can imagine, developing an assessment tool to look at blind spots wasn't the easiest thing. <laughs> and that by definition, blind spots are hidden. 
So part of what I did is I looked at the practices that surface blind spots or not and asked the individual to what extent he or she's doing that. And then there's another um, worksheet in that section that you can take the common blind spots that I've seen and you can ask someone else to rate you on those and see if any of those apply to you and then have a discussion with that individual around either examples of those blind spots or potential recommendations on how to address them. Well, as an author and a consultant, you've had the chance, of course, to impact a lot of people with your work. So I want to ask you at the end of the day, uh, Robert, what do you hope your legacy to be? My hope would be I made a difference in terms of how people think about leaders and leadership teams. Um, advancing the ideas that people have about them and then the, the practices they follow in, as leaders and then building teams that are effective. Well, here at the Read to Lead podcast, we believe that intentional and consistent reading is one of the keys to success in business and in life. And so I'm curious to know if you can name for us a couple of books, Robert, that you've read or are currently reading that have had an impact on you and, and share maybe how or why they impacted you as they did. Well, I'll mention one that I'm reading now, which is outside of my field in general, but I find it intriguing. And it's um, E.O. Wilson's book on what he titled The Social Conquest of Earth. And he talks about the tendency of human beings to group in various ways, and that provides a competitive advantage relative to other species. And he talks about the adaptive nature of various groups and and how they develop and what that means in terms of who we are and how we function. And the reason I'm interested in that is my next book is going to be on teams. And what I find with much of the literature on teams, it's heavy on technique and light on theory. Mm. And Wilson from a sociobiologist's point of view, takes a look at how we group and how we team you know, over the, the span of the species, and then what are the implications for that. So I'm intrigued by his thoughts about human nature and about social nature and how that applies to the work that we do with teams and organizations and you know, the individual leaders um, that we work with. Well, finally, Robert, what's uh, next for you? What projects are you working on that you're excited about, or at least the ones you're, you're uh, able and willing to share with us? Well, the one I just mentioned is what's um, going to be pursuing, we'll be pursuing over the next year, okay. which is around team behavior. And the, my intent is to provide a practical guide, but at the same time, help leaders think about teams in a little different way. And what I find is that much of the literature, as I said, is around the 10 things you need to do or the techniques that you need to use versus how do you think about teams in a little more creative and different way. And part of that, I'm interested in what some of the newer companies are doing with teams, the, the Googles of the world or um, Amazon and so on, because I think much of the literature is now dated and there have been a number of innovative things done with teams that would be helpful to people. Well, I highly recommend the book. I think in particular the real-world examples go a long way to helping illustrate the points that, that Robert makes. It's Leadership Blind Spots, How Successful Leaders Identify and Overcome the Weaknesses That Matter. Robert, thank you so much for being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Let me ask you a question in terms of having read the book, and I appreciate the questions you sent me. Um, any key takeaways for you if you think about either your own experience or what you saw in the book? Well, one that probably fascinated me the most that, that again, we just don't often think about is that rewards can come from blind spots. Uh, particularly, you, you talked about the woman who leads Spanx and how that made her more confident and uh, because she didn't know what she didn't know. 
And, and I found that very eye-opening. I, whenever I think of, of blind spots, I've always thought of them as, as a negative, and that's not always the case. And that was probably the single biggest takeaway. Well, it's, it's, um, I'm glad that came across, and I appreciate the feedback. One of the things that I talk about is this notion of leaders balancing self-doubt with self-confidence. And the way I think about blind spots is they mitigate between those two. Mm. And the, the um, artistry in this is you can have tremendous self-confidence because you have a host of blind spots. You think you're the greatest leader in the world, the organization is <laughs> the greatest organization, but then reality hits you. So part of what you want to do is you need the blind spots. And I find this particularly with visionary leaders. If you think of the example they gave earlier in terms of jobs and so on, often it's the visionary leaders who have the, the most blind spots. And in the book, mm-hmm. I talk about Jobs having what his team called the reality distortion field, mm-hmm. which they had taken from the TV show Star Trek. And they couldn't believe it when they first started working with him because he would distort reality. Now, in some ways, that's a strength because he saw things that other people didn't see and had the audacity to do things that other people wouldn't do. But with that came a downside. So part of what I argue is you need a few people around you who can temper that. If you get rid of it altogether, I don't think you're leading. So one of the conclusions I drew writing the book is that great leaders have great blind spots. Mm. And as a consultant, I often find that people that work with leaders want to eliminate all their blind spots. And I hope I take a more nuanced view, which is in some cases you don't want to temper with it or tamper with it. You, you want it to serve its purpose but then avoid the downside. And that can be a challenge in many cases. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Robert. Again, I appreciate you taking time to do this. It means a lot, and uh, we wish you nothing but success going forward. Thank you. Pleasure talking with you. To find out more about Robert Bruce Shaw and his new book, including the other resources and books mentioned, simply visit the page created especially for this episode. You'll find it all at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 048. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 048. Don't forget our sponsor, Blinkist. You can save 20% on an annual subscription when you use the discount code READ to LEAD. Just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist to find out more. If you're listening to the show in iTunes or on Stitcher and you have a chance to leave a rating and review, I certainly would appreciate it. It helps the show get found by new people. And if you give it a five-star rating and leave a written review so I know who you are, I'll be sure and mention you by name in an upcoming episode as my way of saying thanks. To rate and review the podcast, if you're not already in iTunes or Stitcher, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. I want to say thanks to Brett Perry, who says, congratulations on a wonderfully presented show. Thank you, Brett. And Giselle Oliveira says, A-plus podcast. Giselle, you're too kind. I really appreciate that. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead.
Who's gonna tell you when? It's too late. Who's gonna tell you things aren't so great? You can't go on thinking nothing's wrong. Oh, oh. Who's gonna drive you home tonight?